0: Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin.
1: Jesus didn't spend a lot of time telling people just see if you can't get yourself through this life. Just one way or another, get through it so that someday in the great by and by there will be this wonderful promise kept by God the Father. No, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here now, and you are part of it.
0: So lay down your burden, lay down your shame. God
1: is always trying to give us something better. We, we have it in mind and sometimes the faith can become a kind of, uh, um, a pathway to, a, uh, uh, that 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 sort of stands in in uh, opposition to what we think would make us happier people just you know we we the faith can become this sort of alternative to you know what i what i would like to do or what i think that uh i need in order that i just might enjoy life more so the faith can become this kind of well, law-based system of oughts and shoulds, and 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 I I, I think that um, I think that there's a way for us to think more deeply about what it is that, considering ourselves followers of Jesus, might mean to us, and why be a part of a community of faith that gathers around God's word, and what it is that Jesus means to give us. When Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So with that in mind, we, uh, we, yeah, Aiden read for us this passage that, uh, touches on that moment in the rich, uh, and, and varied and nuanced story of Joseph and, uh, his brothers whereby they have, uh, they've, they've come into contact with one another and the, the brothers, they just, you know, they know what they have coming because what they have done to their youngest brother, Joseph. They know what they deserve, and they are terrified and fearful that they're about uh, to get it. But that's not what they get. And so there is a kind of a tendency to turn the story of Joseph into a sort of a morality play, you know, that... uh now, what we can learn from this story is that um, you know as Joseph was forgiving of his brothers we we should be forgiving too and that joseph 's brothers were saved uh, because of um, his forgiveness and and Maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's a way to more deeply enter the full story and just sort of uh, let it have its way with us. And so I wanted to, as I was preparing to, you know, kind of preach on this story because it doesn't roll around much in the lectionary from uh, the Book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. And when I was thinking, Lori reminded me last night that our girls, when they were very little, they had we had the movie. I think it was with Donny Osmond, you know, the Technicolor Dream code or whatever it's called. And they just loved it. They watched it constantly. And I always, I remember Lori said we always had to fast forward past the part. I thought it was a scary part, but someone reminded me this morning. It wasn't scary. It was when the whole deal with Potiphar's wife and Joseph got a little racy there for the, so we always had to be there when they're watching this. So we made sure to fast forward past that part. So (laughs) the story is just, you know, rich and fantastic and meaningful. And so rather than sort of just, you know, uh, succumb to the, a little bit of the temptation to just draw moral lessons ab- about how we ought to behave in this world. Uh, I wanted to just spend some time with the story and one, one of the authors that I have loved, uh, and I've quoted from him in the past is, uh, Frederick Buechner. He's pastor and a theologian and, and a, really a, just a wonderful author. And he, he wrote a, s- a series of books on biblical characters, but one of my favorites is one called Peculiar Treasures, And he just goes from A to Z in alphabetical order, order listing uh, different biblical characters, people that we meet in the Bible, kind of telling their story. He does it in his kind of whimsical, humorous way. Uh, and he certainly kind of contemporizes, contemporizes the story. Uh, and, uh, but But he's faithful to the text also. So in a way to have us kind of enter the story more fully, uh, beyond just the little, uh, passage we have, uh, before us this morning because to, you can't really take Joseph out of the context of his more fulsome, uh, story. I wanted to read Joseph's, uh, Joseph and his brethren, that, that story that, uh, Frederick Beekner writes in Peculiar Treasure. So I thought on this blustery day it'll be kind of like story time with Chad and I'm going to read, read to you from, uh, one of my favorite books. It's, uh it's almost it's really just coming apart uh from how often i have turned to it over these many years so and then after that i'm going to read um, read the gospel uh and in this gospel i think uh as we hear it read it can help us reflect upon joseph's story but also upon our own. And I'll say more about that when we get to it. But for now, let's just kind of settle in and and look around at the story of Joseph as uh, Frederick Beekner shares it in his own uh, special way. Joseph's brothers tried to murder him by throwing him into a pit. But if they had ever been brought to trial, they wouldn't have needed Clarence Darrow to get them an acquittal in any court in the land. Not only did Joseph have offensive dreams in which he was always Mr. Big and they were all groveling at his feet, but he recounted them in sickening detail at the breakfast table the next morning. He was also his father's pet, and they seethed at the sight of the many-colored coat he flaunted while they were running around in T-shirts and dirty jeans. After tossing him into the pit, The brothers decided to tell Jacob, their father, that his fair-haired boy had had a fatal tangle with bobcats, and in order to convince him, they produced a shirt that they had dipped in goat's blood. Jacob was convinced, and they didn't even have to worry too much about the lie that they had told him, because by the time they got around to telling it, they figured that it or something like it must have actually happened. Unknown to them, however, Joseph was rescued from the pit by some traveling salesman who happened to be passing by, and eventually he wound up as a slave in Egypt where he was bought by an army man named Potiphar. Now Joseph got into trouble over an embarrassing misunderstanding with Potiphar's wife and did some time in jail for that as a result, but Pharaoh got wind of the fact that Joseph was big on dream interpretations, and Pharaoh had him sprung to see what he could do with a couple of wild ones that he'd had himself. When Joseph passed with flying colors, Pharaoh promoted him to be the head of the Department of Agriculture and eventually his right-hand man. Years later, Joseph's brothers, who had long since succeeded in putting him out of their minds, turned up in Egypt too, looking for something to eat because they were having a famine back home. Joseph knew who they were right off the bat, but because he was wearing his fancy uniform and speaking Egyptian, they didn't recognize him. Joseph just couldn't resist getting a little of his own back for a while. He pretended he thought that they were spies. He gave them some grain to take home, but he made one of them stay behind as a hostage. And he planted some silverware in their luggage and accused them of copying it. But though with part of himself he was presumably getting a kick out of all of this, with another part he was so moved and pleased to be back in touch with his own flesh and blood after so long that every once in a while Joseph had to get out of the room in a hurry so that they wouldn't see how choked up he was and discover his true identity. Finally, he'd had enough. He told them who he was, and they all fell into each other's arms and wept. He then invited them to come live with him in Egypt and to bring old Jacob along with them too, who was so delighted to find Joseph alive after all these years that he didn't even seem too upset about the trick that had been played on him with the bloody shirt. The real moment of truth came when Jacob finally died. Generous and forgiving as Joseph had been, his brothers couldn't avoid the nasty suspicion that once the old man wasn't around anymore, to put in a good word for them, Joseph might start thinking again about what it had felt like when they tossed him into the pit and decided to, and decide to pay them back as they deserved. So they went to see Joseph and they fell down on their knees and they begged his pardon. Joseph's answer rings out like a bell. Don't be scared. Of course you are pardoned, he said. Do you think I'm God, to grovel before me like that? In the old days, of course, God was just who Joseph rather had suspected he was, and the dreams where his brothers groveled were his all-time favorites. Almost as much as this is the story of how Israel was saved from famine and the extinction, It is the story of how Joseph was saved as a human being. It would be interesting to know which of the two achievements cost God the greater effort and which was the one he was prouder of. I love Beekner's insight there near the end. I think we hear this story in And what we tend to take from it is how the brothers of Joseph were saved by his benevolence, by his forgiveness. But Beekner also wants us to notice that being this forgiving person is what saved Joseph as a human being. And maybe we can access the story there as well. Maybe it's not just a morality play about how we ought to behave. Maybe what Jesus is getting at in this gospel we'll hear now is also something more than a list of, of of behaviors that are expected of those who call themselves Christians and come out on a blustery, snowy day and gather in worship around God's Word. Maybe we can hear even this gospel as promise. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said. It's here now. You're a part of it. So what does that mean? Jesus didn't spend a lot of time telling people, just see if you can't get yourself through this life, just one way or another get through it so that someday in the great by and by there will be this wonderful promise kept by God the Father. No, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here now. And you are part of it. And, and and so we can hear this gospel reading as promise. The promise of, of how we might understand how this kingdom of heaven operates on a completely different set of values than the culture around us. How we might even find our own way into living as though we believed it was truly at hand. And we were actually a part of it. From Luke's sixth chapter, Jesus said, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed press down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. I don't know if that's good advice to live by. I don't know if I dare to teach our children to love those who hate them if I thought it would handicap them somehow in this world. Shouldn't I teach them to beware of those who are trying to get ahead of them and teach them how to be cunning and how to strike first and how to, you know, get the most? And But somehow... And maybe this is true for you as well. When I think of those people I am blessed to know for whom living in this kind of reality seems to be so closely related to who they are in this world. They are, by their very nature, compassionate and looking to reach out and help and serve and love and forgive. When I think of those people who are shining examples of that way of life in this world they are the people that I would consider to be having the deepest, most meaningful life I can imagine. The happiest, most fulfilled people I know are people for whom that is a description of the world that they live in. It is not the culture that is created for us. It is, however, the kingdom of God that we are part of, that we are partners in building. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says. And then he showed us what it looked like to live that abundant life. It's not the life the world gives. It's the life that Christ gives to us to send us into the world so that the world might see that gracious kingdom at hand.
0: Lay down your burden your shame All who are broken Lift up your faith your hurt, lay down your heart. Come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are.